Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Royal The Roost podcast summer specials in which I've been talking to a number of different fans um, about a number of different issues surrounding the club um, and how their lives intersect with the culture of football and everything around that and our club in particular. Um, this week's guest um, I first came into contact with through a very good friend of mine who goes by the name of Rosa. Um, she is, of course, of the Tottenham Way fame. Um, and, yeah, well, I, I mentioned this um, because Rosa is referenced throughout the conversation, um, so it's probably appropriate that you have the context here. Um, the conversation being with her father, Philip, um, who's a Spurs season ticket holder, but more importantly, uh, a lecturer, author um, and professor in the field of genocide and Holocaust studies. Um, and so I have spoken to him about anti-Semitism in football um, and the use of the Y word, obviously, in particular with our fan base, um, but also the way in which it's you know, weaponized against us and how the criticism of this um, is apportioned to Spurs fans as well and how he feels about that. Um, it's an absolutely fascinating chat, so I'll stop my rambling now and cut straight into it. Um, well, it's the first league game my dad ever took us to. Uh, I think I must have been about seven, six or seven. We were at home to West Ham, and we were 2 nil down at half-time. It was the season, I think Nicholson had just taken over. And it was really dismal, but I thought, well, I'm in for it now. And the following season was a real turnaround. We got to third. Um, and Tommy Harmer was playing in the, what was in those days, the inside right position. So we finished third behind somebody in Burnley. And then the following season, we won the double. And I, it was like, you know, it was an amazing turnaround. And then Tottenham became this, this kind of artistic club. And I was very drawn to the fact that they were not thuggish like Wolves. They were not mediocre like Arsenal. Um, and they were extremely temperamental. You know, anything north of Watford. You know, you, even in the double winning season, you still worried when they went north, actually. Um, so it was a kind of artistic, talented team. 
not thuggish at all, which really attracted me. And the other reason, I guess, is where I lived. I grew up in northwest London, uh, in a Jewish community area, really, and um, you either supported Arsenal or Spurs. And so once I committed to Tottenham, that was it. Um, so it just became, you know, the, the thing. I, I suppose on my own. My brother at the time didn't, although he later came on board, as it were. Everybody now blames me and my family for, <laughs> for inflicting this curse on us. Uh, so I went through, and I used to go on my own. Oh, well, I used to go with uh, a business associate of my dad's. He used to take us, take me, uh, when I was eight, nine, ten, eleven. And, uh, you know, it was Euro in the European nights. You know, I got special dispensation from my parents when I was like 11 to go to a, you know, midweek game. I can still remember the Benfica semi-final. An extraordinary time. It's when you were like 11, 10 or 11, you know, on a, on a win wet, wet, you know, Wednesday night. With, and there's 70,000 people there. It was absolutely thrilling. Did it, did it feel like, at that time, did it feel like we were going to win the European Cup before? Because I've, I've heard it kind of... Glamorised. I don't know if it's rose tinted or not, but that Tottenham team of that era, people do talk about them as being you know, the finest side in Europe, the best football. I don't know whether we were the finest side in Europe. I know, you know, we didn't know much about European football really because English teams hadn't been in it for very long. But you know, watching Real Madrid win five or six in a row. I remember watching the Real Madrid Eintracht Frankfurt final, which was just astonishing. Watching on TV, then I watched Real Madrid and Benfica in an amazing final. So, Puskas yeah. was there, yeah, and Barcelona in those days were, and they also had a lot of Hungarians. It was incredibly exciting. So I don't know that we felt we were the best team in Europe, but I did think we were the best team England had produced for, but just a different team that England had ever produced. It didn't have English virtues. I was saying we weren't thuggish. There was no hard. I mean, Mackay was exceptional because he was the only Spurs player who would tackle. <laughs> Think about the Benfica game which I remember vividly, was that basically Mackay took over. He wasn't the captain. Plant, Danny Plantstar was the captain. But the adrenaline was so pumped up in, in the stadium, in the club, that when we, we, we went 1-0 down after three minutes. So we were 3-1 down on aggregate, or 4-1 down, I can't remember exactly, after three or four minutes. And then we got back to 2-1 to up, and Mackay was just leading this extraordinary buccaneering so in a way, it was an untypical game, actually, because the, the, the kind of quality and the artistry were subordinated to just kind of giving it absolutely everything. I didn't myself, I wouldn't, my, that's my Benfica were amazing. I think they went on the win that year. They were incredible. You didn't see football like that in England at all. But Tottenham were a European-type team, and nobody had been like that in England. Wolves had been the, the, the British representatives for Yonks, and they were, you know, hard-working, hard-tackling Filthy, filthy, basically, <laughs> filthy. And Tottenham were just completely different. I don't think I expected us to win the European Cup, and but we did win the Cup Winners' Cup the following year, I think, and that was thrilling. But we didn't have the consistency, really, to do... We, I mean, looking back, it's amazing. I thought then, if somebody had said to me then, you're not going to win the Premiership ever, ever again, in your lifetime, which it looks like it might happen, right? You know, this is the highest we've been under Poch. This is the best we've ever been. And even then we're short, so I can't see us winning. I was going to say, that's quite a, you know, your, your early introduction to Spurs, the double, getting to European Cup semi-final, yeah. and then 
winning the Cup Winners' Cup, but also then winning cups. I mean, we would win cups on a reasonably regular basis. And we were a cup team. We would finish in the top three, but with no realistic prospect, I don't think, of winning the league because we couldn't win enough games away from home on, you know, Stoke on a Wednesday night sort of thing. Well, it wasn't just a Wednesday night, it was a Saturday afternoon as well, actually. <laughs> Even under Nicholson. I mean, Nicholson, you know, has a great reputation, deservedly so, for being tough and hard, but didn't really affect the players very much. So I don't think I ever saw Blanchard win a tackle, actually. Really? Or once. Once he won a tackle, I told, I told my daughter Rose about this, he, we were home to Leicester City, who were as bad then as they are now, and um, for some reason they all came out very tanked up, and Blanchard won a tackle, and then they, Tottenham scored from it, and went 1-0 up, and then we thought, oh, this is going to be great, and then they all went to sleep, and lost the game 2-1. And I thought that was typical of Tottenham, right? You know, they would not, you know, they always flatter to deceive. They raise your hopes. And then there are these wonderful moments, mostly cup matches. And this new, this team now is, is quite different. It's completely different because you go there and you know they're going to try for 90 minutes and you know they'll give it everything and you know they've got a system and they've got a kind of team ethos. I don't really believe... I mean, if you talk about the team ethos in those days and Nicholson and the rest of it, I, I don't... I just remember artistry. That's what I... You know, I just remember them being flashes of brilliance. And I mean, the formations and things back then were quite a treat. Whenever you see all the backs of programmes and stuff like that, you play, like, three at the back and six up front and stuff like that, like it. Yeah, there were five, or five up front, definitely. There were five forwards. Well, three and two sort of slightly withdrawn, although number ten was usually a bit further forward. Um, two in the middle and four at the back. You know. But the defence was always a bit ropey. I mean, we did have some great centre-halves. No, not well, great. I mean, you know, in Tottenham. <laughs> not like anybody else, right? Because they were also quite ball-playing. You know, we bought, well, normally then we bought Mike England, I remember that. He was, you know, he was quite powerful and he was strong and he could head the ball. But I wouldn't say there was much discipline at the back, really. In fact, I can't remember any decent fullbacks ever. The guys we got at the moment are the best fullbacks I've seen at Tottenham ever. I mean, people will tell you about Kinnear and Knowles, and they were good going forward, but they were not good defensively. I mean, the number of, well, Cyril Knowles especially, some heroic, I mean, hysterical blunders, you know. So I don't remember any good fullbacks. I mean, the fullbacks in a double-winning team were Baker and Henry, and they were all right. They were competent, but they were not outstanding. The team wasn't built on a strong defensive basis, nor on, you know, a ball-winning capacity in the middle. There were some skillful players. I mean, Mackay, as I say, was quite a hard man, but he was—he just stood out. You know, nobody, none of the rest of the team like that at all. Are there any players from years gone by that you think would make the difference now in the team we've got? And that's a bit of a, an, a, uh, an abstract question, but just as a point of interest. Um, it's hard to know because there were some amazing, there were some wonderful players. Whether they'd fit into Pochettino's system and do what Pochettino demands, I don't know. I mean, Ginola is obvious because he was so extraordinary he could turn the game. I don't feel we have players who can turn a game like that really at the moment I mean Kane does with some wonderful moments but it he keeps going at it that, that's why he keeps, yeah. keeps having a go right but Ginola would 
Turner game, Hoddle would turn a game. Um, so I don't think, and Greaves, of course, Greaves was just <laughs> magic. <laughs> he never tracked back. I just never saw Greaves tackle in his life. You know, he would come back. I mean, Kane comes back in defence. Yeah. Who knew? Sometimes a little bit too much. Yeah, but I can love him as I do, but, but you know, sometimes I like to stay up front, Harry. I keep thinking, there. you're at Tottenham. You're at Tottenham. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Stop trying so hard. <laughs> so, I mean, if we're going down the, the annals of Tottenham history, do you recall the first instances of Spurs fans reclaiming the Y word? Uh, I mean, what was, what was the environment like, should we say, towards Tottenham? What was the root of the, the anti-Semitism, I guess, that, that came to us? Actually, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, as I said earlier, I think, you know, if you were a Jewish kid in northwest London, you either supported Arsenal or Tottenham evenly. So I don't, and you know, I've got lots of Jewish friends from you know from from that time who are Arsenal fans. Annoyingly, um, that's what we used to you know have rivalries about. So they were both Jewish clubs originally, and then I didn't go for. I didn't when I went to university. I stopped going, although I followed it obsessively. And I didn't have a ticket season ticket anymore. And I would go occasionally. My brother had one, so I had to go with him. And I started going again. You know when. Rosa got interested, um, so we started to go and we get tickets. And I, what I can tell you is, I remember going the first time I went and I heard the chant. So this will tell you something about uh, cultural shifts. I thought it was an anti-Semitic chant. I thought somebody was chanting against the fact that Tottenham had lots of Jewish supporters. And I would hear this kind of drumbeat, drumbeat, boom, 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 yitz, and I thought, who are all these anti-Semites? And I was with my niece, and she said, no, Uncle, they're, they're Spurs fans. And I thought, that can't be right. Why would you... <laughs> so if you grew up Jewish in northwest London in the 1950s, right, an Anglo jury being a particularly conservative, in many ways, community, relieved to be here. And so what you were taught, really, was to not be open about it, really, just... Not hide it, but don't certainly not draw attention to yourself. So, my second reaction to it was, we don't want this because it draws attention to us. Right? This is a kind of classic 1950s. Whereas my nieces and my daughter said, you know, no, no, <laughs> times have changed. Really. It's not like that anymore. People are okay. And so I was, I had mixed feelings about it. Um, so I don't quite know where it came from. Except that there have always been a lot of Jewish fans and a lot of, and there were Jewish directors as well. Irving Scholar was on the board and didn't go very well either, but you know. So there was a lot of Jewish involvement with Tottenham. And I suppose somehow the Spurs fans claimed it in a way that Arsenal fans didn't or couldn't or there weren't enough. Maybe the balance of support had shifted. That's, that's my only um, explanation for it, that somehow it then became something you could be proud of. I don't suppose I was not much to be proud of for a while in the 90s anyway so there's something maybe a bit perverse about it well we're going to make a virtue out of this uh, and I then changed my attitude to it I my first one was oh my god the second one was don't do this and then I thought well okay why not and then I became aware I probably was aware of it already of the anti-semitic 
hostility of some groups of fans. You know, most obviously West Ham and yeah. Chelsea. West Ham are just unspeakable. And so after that, I thought, well, you know, then this is the right thing to do. And I think it's nice, actually. And I don't see anything wrong with it at all. I think it's it's got a kind of quite anti-racist component to it. And I think that's nice that the club, that the supporters have that. I'm not saying everybody who makes that chant is, you know, strong on fighting anti-Semitism. But I think it it can be a source of support for people, actually. And I think that's that's good. So I think, you know, the Badil criticism is completely misplaced. Because you know, this is what I want to, to go on to. I mean, we obviously have it directed at, say, us as a, as a fan base. So I just mean that in the, in the collective term. Um, not being Jewish myself. Um, but Spurs fans have it levelled at them as a, like you say, as an attack. It's a, it's a, it's a point. It's weaponised by sections of fan bases from West Ham, Chelsea. Um, but in terms of Bedil's point, where he was talking about our appropriation of it now is counterproductive, that we're almost enabling the abusers. Is this something that you've heard, not maybe not just from him, but is this something you've heard from, say, friends or any other relatives? Or I've else? had one or two people talk about it, but I would say that's the 1950s. Anglo-Jewish culture again, you know, don't draw attention to it, it'll only provoke them. It's that kind of view of anti-Semitism is that if you stand out or you are proud of being Jewish, you'll attract some kind of hostility which misunderstands the nature of anti-Semitism completely. So I think it's it's completely wrong. I, I don't I don't think the fact that a group of people are proud of Jewish identification with their club provokes anti-Semitic hostility. Anti-Semitic hostility is quite independent of that. You know, people will then, then focus if they want to, but it's their responsibility for being anti-Semites. It's not the people who make the chant to attract it at all, I don't think. I mean, and I think, you know, it's not the only club in the world like this. You know, Ajax in Amsterdam have the same identification and they attract the same degree of hostility. Uh, and you just have to deal with it. I mean, I just feel pleased that people think it's something to be proud of. That seems to be quite a good thing, really, actually. Um, Do you think that despite that, the, the positive connotation to it, and perhaps like the positive intent initially behind that as a show of solidarity, say, um, do you think that the, the term can now be wrongfully appropriated um, I mean just as, as an example of this um, I mean you sometimes see videos floating around on YouTube of Spurs fans who are probably playfully not doing it maliciously but I, well, I can't attest to what their motives are really but I've seen videos of say like Orthodox Jews and people have been chanting like you know you those you those at them this kind of thing and it's Spurs fans kind of and posting it between other Spurs fans and it kind of seems to be all a big kind of joke but is this something that I don't know if this was quite Badil's point per se he seemed to have a more broad thing of this but it's the fact that we've softened it to this degree not, not softened is perhaps the wrong word but 
taken that the, the sharp edge off of it to chant it proudly. I think sometimes we run the risk of people losing that context of what it means in the wider sense when they are saying it outside of a footballing context. I mean, I suppose it can happen. I, I, I'm not that bothered about it, really. I mean, if, if, if the point behind this is somehow that people don't know what they're chanting when they're chanting Yiddos, and they are not, in fact, celebrating something, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure there are people who adopt it in a rather unthinking way, like they adopt all sorts of chants. But I think that, you know there are, the overall thing can only it's, it's 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 fine. I don't think it's the best thing in the world, but I think it's a good thing on balance overall. And I and perhaps I've got my own perspective on it, having overcome that kind of sense of what. Uh, you know, I feel okay about it, really, and it makes me laugh. And when, when they welcome a player back to White Hart Lane and start chanting Yiddo, or when they adopt a player, and that's their affectionate way of, you know, applauding him, I think that's nice, because the word Yid is not is not used in that way historically, right? So I think it's you know as a badge of approval. Or sympathy or affection so that's nice you know you know when people talk about yids before they didn't <laughs> it didn't mean it didn't mean it in that way at all yeah. so I think that's quite a nice and positive thing to be happening and I think if people don't know what they're doing sometimes I have not yet seen any evidence of people misusing it or abusing it among Spurs fans uh, and even the examples you point to, I mean, you know, okay, they're just sort of a bit daft, really. Um, but they're not reversing the sympathy, I don't think, as far as I can see, in, in using it like that. So I think it's quite nice. I think it's, I think basically it's saying lots of, there's been quite a strong Jewish association with this club, and that's a good thing. And that, I think, is... You know, having overcome my reticence about it and original alarm, it makes me laugh. You know, you know, it just makes me laugh. I'm wandering up 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 the lane, you know, and I'm hearing people chant yiddos, and I think that's yeah. how did that happen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In what universe does that happen? <laughs> this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Like the the thing that's made me as somebody that's not Jewish quite uncomfortable 
probably about it now is hearing that some of the people who yeah who are Jewish who still say that because when when the conversation arose initially, well, I'm sure there was examples of this beforehand, but most recently with Bedil's stance on the matter and how his point seemed to be that we were somehow enabling Chelsea fans to sing chants about Auschwitz and stuff, you know, which I, I pro- took objection to, really. Um, but I kind of saw perhaps his wider point. But I think as, as, a, as a non-Jew hearing people who are Jewish say that they find the chant offensive, it leaves me in a fairly awkward position as to what I should do. Because I know that, for example, if I, if I do sing something like that at one of the players, I know that it's not coming from a place of malice. The intent and the context with which I deliver it is not, not weaponized. No. But it's still, I can't help but have that kind of liberal neurosis about it where I kind of feel I shouldn't be singing this. And then I, I've, I haven't spoken to sort of other friends who are you know, non-Jewish as well about the same thing. We, we kind of say that there's almost perhaps within our fan base a little element that's like, we can say the naughty thing here. We're in, we know we're allowed to say this. And so they kind of champion it perhaps a bit more than, than they should, that it's not so much a, a matter of reclamation or solidarity anymore. It's just, we can say the naughty thing and West Ham and Chelsea fans can't. If you, if you see, what I, see where I'm going with that. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't rule it out. Um, I don't think it's a very large group of people doing that. Um, oh no, by all means, I'm not saying that's the. Intent. I mean, let's disentangle the, the different threads here. Mm. The the Jewish fans of the club who feel uncomfortable, I think, are having the reaction that I had originally, which is don't draw attention to us. Okay. I don't. I mean, this is you know connected to another discussion, which is about anti-Semitism itself. I don't think Jews or people who support Jews are responsible for anti-Semitism. Anti-Semites are responsible for anti-Semitism. So there is, I think, the enabling argument is completely wrong. Nobody is enabled by what Jews do or supporters of Jews do to be anti-Semitic. They choose to be anti-Semitic. They choose to pick on a group of people and abuse them and denigrate them. And that's their choice. It isn't anything about their target that provokes this. I think this is you know, a fundamental misconception about anti-Semitism. I would say that, you know, you, people may often say this about Jews in a way they wouldn't say it about, for example, black people and say that black people provoke you know, rape, anti-black racism. They don't. Uh, you know, people who are racist towards black people or anybody else are, are choosing to be so. So I think we must draw that very firm line about it. So I think that there is no enabling argument. And I think some of the Jews who are uncomfortable about it, I'm sympathetic to because I had that reaction to it myself. Whether people are thinking about being naughty with this, you know, you know I think I don't know if that's true or not. And I don't think it's the same thing. When, when you say they can now say yids in a way that, you know, West Ham fans can't. Well, of course, West Ham fans do, so yeah. it's not that they can't. 
but that it's different. I don't, I don't see that argument. It may be that there's a kind of frisson about it. Oh, look, we're using a word that has a particular history, you know, and see how, you know, provocative we can be. But I don't sense that. I think when people chant, you know, it's a badge of identification between the supporters and the club and the team. And when they chant about a particular player that he's a yiddo, they are, it's a term of affection towards that player. So I think, you know, overwhelmingly, on balance, as it were, the, the thing is positive. I do understand, it's not, you know, people can have complicated reactions to things that have to do with their history and their understanding of the past. And one should always try to understand it. And I don't attribute to Badil any malice here. Mm. I think it's an anxiety that he has. Um, but I think it's a misplaced anxiety and he doesn't, I don't think he's talked to enough Spurs fans, he hasn't kind of felt that sense of camaraderie in the club and around the club enough. I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not saying, he's not, he's, he's not by no means a stupid man and he's thought about lots of things and taken some very brave positions about a number of things, but I think in this case his judgment is not right. That's my view of it. Which is not to say that I don't understand the discomfort that people can have. But that discomfort, you know, is about fear. It's not necessarily about what's going on. It's about fear that it might be something which I don't think it is. Um, so it's possible that we could then say, well, well, let's not use it. But then I think that would be, certainly in the moment, quite a negative thing. It would, be, it would play into the enabling argument. It would play into the argument that there's something embarrassing about being Jews or being associated with Jews or having Jewish supporters or having Jews identify with the club. And I don't see how that can be a good thing. I'm, look, that's my view of it. I, I'm willing to be, you know, dis, you know to, to persuade you that I'm wrong about it. But that's my sense after a number of years. And as I say, it took me aback. It's not like I went to the ground thinking, oh, great. You know, there are lots of people who um, like Jews around here. I was very surprised about it. But when I discovered it, I felt, you know, I'm not, and I don't want to romanticise it either. But on balance, overall, I think it's okay. That, that's my judgment of it. As I say, I'm happy to be have a, a long, careful argument about it. But I haven't yet heard a convincing argument against it. I think the points you make are interesting, and one has got to be sensitive and thoughtful about people's anxieties. Mm. Yeah, that's what I would say. Do you think so? Because obviously, a lot of this is appropriated to the fan base. Um, so this. By this, I mean Badil's perspective, and um, was the uh, oh God. I should prepare. This is misses me, but the chapter in the Society of Black Lawyers, who also you know was in tandem with Badil, yeah. saying that yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was there was this issue that was enabled by the Spurs fans. But do you feel that I guess, and this this touches on anti-Semitism and its place within society in a, a wider sense now? that the media perhaps should be held more accountable for some of the stuff from, from opposition fans. So the fact that, you know, look, as you say, Arsenal are quite rightly, you know, they are by sense a, a Jewish club as well, um, as, as much as Tottenham are. Um, however, Spurs seem to be, especially with, with Levy in charge at the moment, there seems to be this... Um, 
I don't know, maybe if I'm looking for it, but at least to me there always seems to be this sense that, you know, Levy's frugality, shall we say, you know, Daniel Levy, good with money, there's that, uh, there's that almost, I don't know, perhaps more sinister narrative about it that's built up around the club and maybe I'm reaching. Maybe. No, I wouldn't rule that out. I mean, but again, I don't think that's to do with the club and what the club, how the club behave or, or how the supporters behave. That's a quite autonomous, independent phenomenon. Anti-Semitism is a very difficult phenomenon to understand. Um, it's very complicated, very complex, and it has deep roots. Uh, it doesn't mean it is always there, but it's in the culture. You know, it's, it's, it's available all the time for people to, to draw on. You know, I think it's a kind of swamp of noxious ideas and emotions, which people can draw on if they want to, uh, with ease, because it's so available. And if people do use that, um, it's not because of anything that Daniel Levy does or doesn't do. I think the club is very well run, actually. You know, uh, I think we could have been Leeds. We could have been Manchester City before they were bailed out by Sheikh Mansour. Um, and the fact that we've been solvent and, you know, so dramatically overachieved in the last few years is entirely down to Levy's... You know, financial stewardship. I'm not saying he's made the best choices all the time in terms of the managers, although you know, the managers have been pretty good since he appointed Joel, I think. We've generally been on an upward curve, you know, one or two blips. Santini, Ramos, when he went off. Um, but we keep getting better. And you have to hand that to the chairman. And I, you know, like I worry. I'm worried right now in this transfer window that we're, <laughs> we're not buying anybody. But I'd rather we were solvent than we went and splashed out, you know, what frankly are obscene sums of money that other clubs are doing. It's about 30 million for Marco and Altovic. You know, I mean, it's just bonkers, isn't it? And so, I mean, I feel, I wish we had made a couple of, you know, great signings and I'm still hopeful although the days are ebbing away. But I don't, I think even if Levy has a reputation of being a hard man to negotiate with. Uh, he's a hard man to negotiate with. got nothing to do with him being Jewish. That's something put on him. And you can't... You can't really avoid um, the fear. Uh, but, and I think it's a permanent danger that people will pick up anti-Semitic ideas uh, and tropes and use them. And whenever they do and you see it you have to call it out but I think it's their responsibility for doing it. it's nothing I mean I keep coming back to the same thing it's nothing that Jews do Jews are no different than anybody else there are some who behave well and some who don't behave well but as a group to define the group as X you know is and to denigrate the group that's anti-semitism and it's available but it's not um, it's not the responsibility it's not the fault of Jews in the way they are so I understand your anxiety, and I'm alert to it too. Mm. Um, so it's a, but it's a problem. But anti-Semitism is a problem, and one has to take to deal with it. One has to understand how complex and deeply rooted it is, and how available it is, and be alert to it and respond to it as quickly as one can. And very sadly, that is 
often not the case. Mm. <laughs> not just in football. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because as I sort of said at the at the top of the show, um, my sort of overriding feeling is that with Spurs becoming much more of a global player now, shall we say? You know, there's been obviously extensive efforts over the past few years to make the club much more commercially attractive. I, do, I just wonder if this conversation is going to flare up again. I mean, when Badil first voiced his opposition to it, the club, they, they made efforts to, to, to stamp it out. You know, the police were arresting fans yeah, in the yeah, stands. Yeah. Um, and I do, just, I do just wonder if this is something that's going to rear its head again, um, if we're talking about being more you know, commercially attractive globally um, and such whether or not the club would want to have something so politically charged so intrinsically no that's a very interesting that's a very interesting point I, I can't say I thought about it until you mentioned it I, I um, haven't thought about it much partly because I I mean I, it is true that they are trying to market the club and make it more commercial um, I hadn't yet imagined us to be a global brand um, <laughs> It'd take quite a lot for that to happen. It would be interesting. You can't envisage it. It's also quite a complicated thing because I, I don't... I mean, I find the amount of money in football revolting. I found the, the sums that people are spending on players, some clubs are spending on players, you know, actually obscene. It's, and the fact that there are now that the Premiership you know, a small handful of clubs and they buy everybody else, I think is, is very dismaying. It's not quite as bad as it is in Spain, where Barcelona and Real Madrid buy everybody from everybody else, or even worse, in Germany, where Bayern Munich buy everybody else's players. It's blunt position, don't they? Which I think is, you know, what's the point of the sport now? What's the point of being, in, you know, if Bayern Munich are going to buy all the good players from the other teams, then what's the point of the Bundesliga at all? Um, you haven't got to that point in, in England yet, but it's, it's definitely moving that way, and it's, it's tragic, um, I think. Uh, of course, when I supported Tottenham, although, as I say, the first game was dismal, the first season was dismal, in the 60s, Tottenham were the, were the high-spending club. We bought Jimmy Greaves for, I think, £99,999 or something, so he wasn't the first million-pound footballer or something like that. Um, Is there any reason for that? Why they didn't want him to be the first I just Nicholson didn't want it I think I don't know what the reason was um, was it that it was 100,000 99,000 I can't really see how much inflation has gone I've already got the thing I've got a misplaced yeah. naught there somewhere but the, the gap wasn't so great then you know anybody could win the premiership really and I'm not going to go into the Leicester City fiasco last season um, but uh so, I, you know, could, I could be accused of being a bit of a hypocrite here, but the amounts of money now are different. So it's complicated. If the club uh, make it a commercial success, I think that's the only way you can survive and compete for, you know, the, the top prizes, really. Um, so I'm OK with it. In a way, I feel quite good that the club aren't going out splashing huge amounts of money on not brilliant players. Um, I think that's quite good judgment, really. Whether we'll get the next rung down without spending a bit more than we are doing is another question. Um, but I think it's okay. Now, 
that doesn't answer the question about what's going to happen in a way, I suppose, what's behind your question on a kind of global level. If Tottenham do succeed in becoming a world brand, will it, I suppose, the implication is, will it provoke anti-Semitism globally in the way that it's clearly provoked anti-Semitism locally? Well, probably, but not provoke. Again, you know, people will use that as they see fit. You know, what I said about anti-Semitism and deep complex roots in this country, you know, obviously it's much worse in other places. Um, here it's tenacious. I mean, Anthony Julius wrote a wonderful book about anti-Semitism in Britain, pointing out there weren't any Jews here for centuries, but somehow it still kept appearing in the literary products of great writers. You know, you get all these negative references to Jews. How was that if there weren't any Jews here? It's a very, very brilliant book. In other countries, it's much more overt, much more available, much more recent, much more toxic, much more dangerous, much more violent. And we just have to deal with it there and then. If you're saying the club should worry about it, I guess they should, and think about how they're going to be able to deal with it. But I think it's probably... I don't know. It's hard to know, isn't it? Because the, the chant at the lane of Yiddos, Yiddos, right, is a very, lo in a way, it's a local phenomenon. Okay, so the supporters do carry it with them when they go mm -hmm. to other grounds in England. Do many of them, I went to the, the Fiorentina game a couple of years ago, a debacle in its own right. Never want to see, after that, I couldn't, never wanted to see. Um, that again, uh, our centre forward missing a goal from two yards. Um, he was passing the ball. He was, was passing. <laughs> oh. oh my! I was, I was up with the with the Florence fans, Rosenthal with the Florence fans watching it. <laughs> I just could not believe it. That was, I don't that remember. was the end, wasn't it? To, to, to digress, but that was it for him, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I never wanted to see him again. I just <laughs> unbearable. It was just unbearable because then, of course, they then went on to score. I don't recall hearing the chant Yiddos there. It wouldn't have made any sense in Florence, I don't think. I mean, I might be wrong. I was, as I say, I was sitting, a friend of mine got me tickets in the Florence section, which was hilarious in its own way. Mm. Um, but I don't remember that sense, and I don't remember. I mean, it may be in other countries. It would be seized on. It won't, the thing is, it won't provoke it. It'll be seized on by them. So mm. then there's a question of risk of aversion, right? risk avoidance. How do you minimise the damage. They might need to do a bit of thinking about it. It's not reached that point. When we're a global brand, <laughs> in my view, in, in my dream, yeah. baby. <laughs> I think the only thing, I think, like, the Lazio fans are a bit nasty about yeah, it. They're not, but they're do, they are like that. Any, they're horrible, anyway. West Ham, Italy, aren't they? Yeah, it's just vile, you know. Mm. Nasty, racist. Uh, yeah, horrible. Because it's, it's equally, I guess... Uh, in the States, by the go. way, where I guess Levy is pitching because he's got the NFL mm. franchise, I don't think that will be a problem, particularly. I mean, not that there aren't anti-Semites in, in, in the United States. There are clearly a lot of Trump supporters on the right and there's some on the left who are also anti-Semitic, but I don't think it'll take off. I could be wrong about this. I've been wrong about <laughs> quite a lot of things. In, yeah. But it's equally, if not... Well, not, perhaps not more. Let's just stick with equally equally problematic to suggest that like you said people should hide again like yeah, hide this identity yeah, yeah. that is so tied to the club yeah now. so what are you doing when you say no we won't mention it you know you're basically being defensive you're saying in a way you're implying there is something wrong with it and i don't think there is again you know i i, I think many of arguments are not stupid and i can see it it's just the enabling bit i think is wrong if people feel uncomfortable about it in another way then i'm sympathetic to it but i think 
on balances. And I think at this point, for the club to start stamping down on it would be to say there's something problematic about the Jewish Association. There's nothing problematic about the Jewish Association. What's problematic is anti-Semitism. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.